Psalm 45. For the director of music, to the tune of lilies, of the sons of Korah, a maskal, a wedding song. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your side, you mighty one. Clothe yourself with splendour and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth victoriously. In the cause of truth, humility and justice, let your right hand achieve awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. Let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From palaces adorned with ivory, the music of the strings makes you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honoured women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of Ophir. Listen, daughter, and pay careful attention. Forget your people and your father's house. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Honour him, for he is your Lord. The city of Tyre will come with a gift. People of wealth will seek your favour. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered, gar embroidered garments she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her, those brought to be with her. Led in with joy and gladness, they enter the palace of the king. Your sons will take the place of your fathers. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will perpetuate your memory through all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. Thanks, Steve. Um, let me pray for us again, friends, before we start. Our God, we ask that you might, you might show us more of Christ. Uh, there's many things for each of us going on in our own hearts, in our own minds. We ask that now, uh, as we think about, as we hear, as we reflect on your word to us, that you might show us in there wonderful things. Uh, you might show us again this morning the beauty of our Lord Jesus and what he has done for us. Help us to live for him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> um, well, uh, the last, uh, last few weeks, if you've been with us, you'll know we've been thinking about wonder and security in the Psalms. Uh, this week we're thinking about beauty. <clears throat> 
And there's no better display of beauty, is there, than a wedding. Uh, everyone gets scrubbed up. Um, but, of course, it is... Uh, everyone's eyes are on the most beautiful one, the bride. And that moment she walks down the aisle. Here's a picture of the most famous recent wedding. You know what it is? That's, that says Megan walking down the aisle. Apparently 1.9 billion people tuned in across the world to watch this moment, hoping to get a, a, a squiz at this extravagant beauty. Um, well, this, the psalm we've read today and we're reflecting on is a psalm that's all about beauty. Uh, it's a psalm about a wedding. You see that in the title. It's a wedding song. It's a royal wedding song. Uh, it's been commissioned for the wedding of a great king in ancient Israel. Uh, as soon as you start reading it, though, you start to see it's kind of a different kind of wedding song than maybe uh, you would expect, maybe that we're familiar with. Because uh, as, you, as you read through this wedding song, do you notice who the spotlight is on? <laughs> Not the bride walking down the aisle. Uh, the spotlight is all on this bridegroom. Not the bride. The attention goes to him. Uh, it, uh, it seems a bit odd to us. It might be like someone you're, you're telling someone about a wedding you've been to recently and you just start saying, oh, the bridegroom, he was amazing. He was just so fantastic. He just, he just blew everyone away. And then they ask, well, what, what, what about the bride? And you say, oh, uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I, I can't really re remember. Uh, <laughs> I don't advise that. That's not really a good uh, conversation topic, uh, way to go about it. I don't recommend that. Um, but th there's something like that going on here, right? All the eyes in this song are on the bridegroom. He's the one who takes center stage. Well, if you've been with us over this series, you'll know that we're reading a selection of psalms, ancient poems from Israel's songbook, um, the Psalms, and we're, we're seeing how they point us to the person of Jesus. Now, they were written before Jesus came, but they pointed forward to him, to the great eternal king over God's people. Uh, the king of Psalm 3, who, if you remember, would suffer for his people. The king of Psalm 4, uh, who cared deeply about the holiness of his people. The king of Psalm 8, who comes as the perfect human a new Adam to start a new humanity. And last week, the king of Psalm 16, the, who was eternally secure, who lived perfectly faithful to his heavenly father. So it shouldn't surprise us that this psalm also is really ultimately about Jesus. It was originally about a king in Israel commissioned for his wedding. Uh, it was probably sung um, at multiple, like lots of royal weddings throughout Israel's history. But it paints this idealised picture of the king that um, none of the kings, if you read this story, none of the kings ever really live up to. It paints this idealised picture. It's a picture that they were supposed to live up to, but they never really did. Um, until the day when God's eternal king did come and did fulfil this psalm perfectly. It's a psalm that ultimately points us to the beauty of our king, Jesus. Uh, I'm not sure um, what you make of the idea of beauty. Uh, our culture seems to have reduced beauty to the airbrushed cover of a magazine, right? That's kind of, if you want to know what beauty is. That's not the beauty we're talking about here, though. That's not the kind of beauty we're talking about. We're talking about something much richer than that. Uh, beauty is actually something that all of us long for. 
We all long for it. Uh, last week, if you were here, you might remember we talked about this idea of our, uh, the old word of our affections, these deep desires in our hearts that drive us, that motivate us. Um, we saw how in the security of the gospel, Jesus wants to shape our affections, our, these deep desires. Well, another way to think about that is to ask the question, what do you find beautiful? What vision of goodness is your heart longing for? How do you answer the question, if only I had that, I'd be okay? And friends, the great gift of this psalm is that it is here to turn our hearts towards the ultimate source of beauty, the most beautiful one who can alone satisfy our hearts. Well, let's dive in. Uh, if you have your Bibles, there should be a bookmark in there. It's, it'll come up on the screen too. Um, the psalm opens with the writer of the psalm talking. He talk, he, he's, a, he's like a bard, a poet, musician. He's been commissioned to write this wedding song for the king. And, and you can see there in verse 1, he's really captivated by his subject. Um, my, he says, my heart is stirred by a noble theme. As I recite verse, my verses for the king, my tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. Uh, he's putting everything into this song, all of his art, everything that he can come up with. And what, what, what follows is really this tribute to the, his king's beauty, his glory, his majesty. His, um, but what's really interesting as you read on is, um, you might have picked this up, the first thing that this poet highlights about his king is his lips, and not his actual lips, but what comes out of them, what comes out of them. Verse 2, you are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace. He is a king whose words are beautiful, are anointed with grace, who speaks and people are captivated by his words. Maybe you know someone like that. Um, usually they don't say much, but what they do say is just... Uh, really captivating. Well, there was no one who spoke like our King Jesus. There was no one who spoke like him. Uh, if you read through the Gospels, one of the really striking things you'll notice is time and time again, people are just captivated by his words. They're all, like, all infuriated by them, uh, kind of one or the other. But he, he, no one spoke like him. They're gripped by his words. They're amazed at what he says. Uh, Luke chapter 4 says this, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. And friends, it might be that for you, you haven't seen the beauty of Jesus, or perhaps you're, it's faded for you. Can I suggest that's a really good place to start? Pick up a gospel and just notice how Jesus relates to people. How grace and truth and beauty just flow from his lips. Uh, but this king isn't just all talk. He's not just talk. He's a king of action, of power, of victory. You get that in verses 3 to 5, the next little section. Uh, he's, he's a king that you would be a fool to go up against. He's clothed with splendor and majesty. His right hand achieves awesome deeds. This guy can't be beaten. But there's something, there's something really strange about his victory, though. You can see it there in verse 4. I don't know if this um, sort of 
jars a little bit or stood out to you as we read through it? Verse 4. In your majesty ride forth victoriously in the cause of truth, humility and justice. Uh, it's a very different kind of warrior that's pictured here, right? Um, raw power can be an ugly thing. You heard the phrase, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Um, and it always is an ugly thing when in sinful, selfish people. Uh, but this king has a different kind of power. He doesn't fight fire with fire. He doesn't face... He doesn't face the pride of his enemies by puffing his own chest up and being more proud than them. He fights, he defeats lies with the truth. He faces the pride of his enemies with humility. He fights injustice with justice. And there is a mystery here that I think would have been strange to the first singers of this song. It's a mystery that becomes clear as you see Jesus riding to his victory. You might know the story. Not on a war horse, but on a donkey, riding into Jerusalem to claim his crown, a crown of thorns, as he dies on the cross. You might know that story. In humility going to die at the cross, where the most, in the most unexpected way, he won his great victory over sin and death. It is a beautiful victory. Christ has achieved the most awesome deed in the most beautiful way. And in his resurrection from the dead, his enemies have fallen beneath his feet. Well, this king has beautiful words. He has a beautiful victory. And then the next few verses, 6 to 8, they picture this beautiful kingdom of this king. Uh, and it's there that you, here that you get one of the most surprising lines, I think, in this poem. Um, in ancient Israel, the king had this a special relationship, a position that had a special relationship with God. Um, he represented God to the people and to the world. Uh, and you see here this connection is supposed to be so close that in verse 6, this ideal king that's pictured here is addressed as God himself. It's talking to the king in verse 6. Um, verse 6, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. And here it switches to talk, to talk about God. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. It's another mystery in this psalm about this character of the king, but it is a mystery that becomes clear only in Jesus. Um, in the New Testament, uh, in the first chapter of Hebrews, if you want to sort of jot that down and look at it later, it, it, the first chapter of Hebrews says, tells us that this psalm, those verses, verse 6, it tells us that that was written about Jesus, the one who was fully God and fully human, the divine Son of God, God the Son, who reigns over the most beautiful kingdom, where everything will be put right forever, where justice and righteousness will rule. And then in verse 8, it steps back and kind of takes a view of this king in his royal robes. Um, in his palace, gladly listening to 
the music of strings is this really beautiful image of peace and wholeness and beauty. So there's this king, this beautiful king. Uh, now, it's only at this point in the psalm, this wedding song, that you find out there's a bride. Um, there's a bride at this wedding. So what do we learn about her? Well, she is beautiful too. Um, but as you read through this that next little bit, what, what's really interesting is that the focus in this song isn't so much on her own beauty. It's on the beauty she has because of her relationship with the king. I'll show you what I mean. Uh, verse 9, you can see there, she is at the king's right hand. Uh, verses 14 and 15, she's led in to the king. All the way through, you can see how uh, she's clothed in these incredible garments, these rich garments, which are, I think we're meant to um, assume are a gift from the king to her. So the, the focus of this bride's beauty is on this beauty that is given to her by her king. But she's also given some advice by the poet. Maybe you, picked, you notice that in verse 10. Verse 10, as she prepares to marry this king, the poet urges her, forget your people and your father's house. Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Honour him, for he is your lord. Forget your people and your father's house. Um, what, what's going on there? It's a, a bit of a strong thing to say to this person this bride who's about to get married uh, it could be that she's from a foreign country she's certainly from a different family and i think what's uh, going on here is she, the, the poet is pointing out that she she's raised with a certain set of values a particular view of the world and he says forget that old life leave it behind give yourself fully to your king to to devote yourself to this new relationship and the beautiful thing that's going on here is that the poet wants this bride to know that when you do that, you don't need to be afraid that giving yourself to this bridegroom will cause you to miss out on anything. You don't need to be afraid of that. You won't miss out on anything. You know, no one's going to be having a quiet chat in the, com in the corner saying, yeah, she really could have done better. No one's going to be saying that. You cannot do better than to marry this king. Um, that's what verse 12 is getting at. Uniting yourself to this king means the wealth of nations will come streaming in. Now, verse 15, you see there at the end of this little section, it's with joy and gladness that this bride and her companions come into the bridegroom. So leaving her old life behind and devoting herself to this relationship. It would be a risky business. Uh, it would open herself up to pain and disappointment if this king were not so perfect. But here is a bridegroom who this bride can completely trust, can be completely at rest with. Well, just quickly, the last couple of verses there uh, they talk about what's going to be the fruit of this relationship, this, this new marriage between the king and his bride. What's going to come from it? Uh, in a word, children. Um, offspring who are going to spread the name of this king and his kingdom throughout the world. And so you get right at the end of the psalm this picture of the nations praising this king forever and ever. 
Okay. There's more in there. We've kind of skimmed through a little bit, but I, I want to... I want to help us to just reflect a little on what we make of this psalm. What do you make of this psalm as a Christian believer, if you are, as someone who's not yet not a Christian, uh, if that's where you're at? What do you make of this psalm? Well, on one level, the bard, the guy who's writing this psalm, the poet, He's writing this psalm down so that the people who read it would share in his wonder at this king. He's writing it so that your heart would also be stirred by a noble theme. Um, we've, I've tried to, we've tried to do that as we've read through. We've, we've read this to see it in the light of Jesus uh, to see the beauty and glory of our great King. And friends, you and I have more reason to have our hearts stirred by our King than this poet ever did. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the poet looked forward in hope. He paints this ideal picture that he never saw realised, but we have seen it. We have seen this King in flesh and blood, wonderfully fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So friends, this psalm is here so that your heart might be stirred by the noblest of themes. And it may be, I think this is just such a gift to us. It may be that you're struggling with um, some kind of ongoing sin, We've, we thought a little bit last week about how um, our Christ wants to change our desires in the security that we have in him. Uh, but perhaps you know you need to change, but you don't know how to, and trying harder just hasn't worked. I want to urge you to this morning let Psalm 45 speak to your soul. Um, if, if it's true that our our affections, those deep desires within us, if it's true that they're the things that drive us, that flow out into our actions, then real, deep gospel change, change that comes from the inside out, and that's not just a Band-Aid a band -aid change, change that goes to your heart, the, the kind of change, that kind of change can only happen when those deep desires themselves are changed, when your affections are changed. And Psalm 45 is an invitation for you to see and to know and to love and to trust the matchless beauty of Jesus, to have your affections set on him, and that he is all that he is and all that he freely gives to you in the gospel. So that's uh, what I want to say in reflecting on this psalm, but I want to say something else because there's something even more here. There's something even deeper here than that, something actually that reinforces what we've just said. Um, we are not just invited to join the poet as he looks on at this royal wedding. We're not just invited to join him in his awe at the king, uh, here is something 
It's just incredible. Through the gospel, we are invited right into the middle of the action. We are invited right down the aisle. Um, This is a song about a king and his bride. Uh, We've seen how the king is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, but who is this bride? Um, uh, Despite what conspiracy theorists might want to tell you, Jesus never actually got married. He, he was single his whole life. So what's this wedding song got to do with Jesus, someone who didn't get married? Well, here's where this psalm, I think just the beauty of this psalm um, just gets more and more rich. Because according to the Bible, Jesus does actually marry a bride. Uh, did you know that the Bible starts and ends with a wedding? Um, It begins with the first humans, Adam and Eve, and joined by God in a wedding that shows God's good design for marriage. But the Bible ends with a wedding too. It ends with a marriage. At the end of the book of Revelation, it ends with the ultimate marriage. Uh, This should come up on the screen. If it's not, uh, you can find it in Revelation chapter 19, this vision of the future. Um... This great coming reality that Christ secures in his death and resurrection and then promises to us. It says this, uh, Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Throughout the Bible, throughout the whole Bible actually, the relationship between God and his people is described as a marriage. And here at the end of history is the ultimate marriage, the great wedding, the wedding of Jesus to his bride, the church. Um. All of our human marriages are just a shadow of that ultimate one, actually. A sign pointing towards that far greater eternal reality. Uh, And so, friends, if you're a Christian person this morning, whether you're male or female, whether you're married or single, whoever you are, whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever hurts or sins or joys or griefs you carry with you, You are a part of his bride. You are welcomed into this wedding. Uh, This eternal love story, actually. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? Um, To think that what's at the heart of the universe is not cold, blind indifference, but a love story. A love story and a hope where every yearning of your heart will be fully met for all of eternity. So, friends, if you are in Christ, if you are his person, if you have trusted in him, Psalm 45 takes on a much richer meaning. Uh, Just like the bride here, you are made beautiful. Uh, Not because of anything in you, but because of your relationship to this king. 
He clothes you with the richest robes of his righteousness. He bought for you. He bought, uh, those robes were bought for you at the cost of his own blood, his own life at the cross. He delights in you. And he delights in every other person who is a part of his bride. It might surprise you, but this room is full of beautiful people. That shouldn't surprise you. Sorry, that was a slight joke. This room is full of beautiful people. Even those you might find a little annoying. (laughs) Even those who have offended you. Even those you have offended. People made beautiful because of the beauty of their king. In Christ we are made beautiful. And in Christ... Like this bride of Psalm 45, we are also called to leave behind our old lives, uh, our old ways of thinking and feeling, to give ourselves to him and to do that not fearing that we will miss out on anything, but giving ourselves with joy and gladness, trusting that we could never do better than him. So that's for you if you are someone in Christ. This psalm has just such riches for you. Um, If you're not yet a Christian, you're not someone who has trusted Jesus, then in this psalm, Jesus has a proposal for you. Uh, He invites you to enter into his wedding feast. And I want to urge you not to refuse this offer of marriage nobody will love you like he does nobody will give you security like he will nobody will give you peace like he can nobody is stronger wiser more gentle more wise so please friends come receive his offer receive his offer of new life of forgiveness through his death in your place on the cross. Receive the new royal robes that he's holding out to give to you today. Come and receive the certain hope that through death you will be raised again to his eternal feast where everything will be made new. I want to pray for all of us now. Can we pray together? Our God, we ask that for each of us here today, you might give us a new, a fresh, a transforming vision of the wonderful beauty of our King Jesus. Uh, Our hearts are drawn to so many other things. Uh, But we ask, Lord, that more and more every day we might see Jesus anew in, in all his glory and his beauty, and that that might so change our hearts and our affections Uh, that we might more and more desire what he desires and live as he wants us to. Um, Please, Lord, reveal yourself to us. Um, I pray for any who are here this morning and are checking out what it means to follow Jesus, who are investigating him. Reveal yourself to them. 
Uh, we thank you so much for this precious word, and we pray that it will continue to do its good work within us by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.